Okay, and the story begins. Okay. We are on page 38 in the blue sitter, the blue Chabad sitter. Um, Jim, you mentioned you had the weekday sitter. I think it should be the same pages. Okay. Um, they, they have a version that is just weekday. It doesn't have the Shabbos davening. We're going to start in that gray box right there. Even though it's not something we say every day, it's something we recite only uh, 10 days throughout the year. We'll get to that soon. But let's take a step back here. We concluded in our last session the entire Pesuke de Zimra verses of praise section of davening, which is essentially a, a, another preliminary part to davening. There are several stages in the preliminary parts of davening because davening essentially is a ladder. It's like Jacob's ladder. The bottom is on earth, the top is on heaven, and you grow in your spiritual journey, your spiritual connection, your spiritual awareness as you daven. And that's why there's different sections to davening. And as we progress through each section, we connect deeper and deeper. and We, we, we connect with a deeper level of consciousness. Now, this is something we believe, but through our journey and understanding of the Siddur, we actually understand how. The Siddur is this mechanism, this tool on helping us develop our souls, become more soul conscious. And a big chunk of davening was the Pesuke de Zimra, the verses of praise, the opening blessing of the Baruch Sha'amar on page 30, the closing blessing, the Yishtabach, blessing of praise on page 38, and then the verses of praise in between. We've now concluded that during the majority of the year. But between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's one last paragraph that we sneak in in the verses of praise in this gray box. And I, by the way, I don't believe all versions of the Siddur actually has this, even in contemporary times. I, 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 I didn't get a chance to look, but if, I'm, if I remember correctly, I don't believe many Ashkenaz Siddurs contain this paragraph. They don't recite it at this point. It's a tradition based on the Kabbalah of the Arizal of Rabbi Isaac Luria. Rabbi Isaac Luria instituted or ha had this tradition, I don't know if he instituted it or had the tradition of reciting this psalm. It's, it's a direct cut and paste psalm 135, I believe. 130, sorry. One, 130. 130, it says there on the bottom, right? 130. Um, and it's a direct, direct cut and paste. And as you'll soon see, it's very relevant to the 10 days of Teshuvah the season between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Let's quickly read the psalm inside. And just for today, by the way, what we're going to do is explore this psalm, and then we're going to move on to the half Kaddish, and we'll discuss why the half Kaddish is there and what that teaches us. Sounds good? Sounds good. It's actually on page 76 in my center. Oh, really? 76? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to quickly read through the paragraph. A song of ascents out of the depths, I call you, O Lord. My Lord, hearken to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. God, if you were to preserve iniquities, my Lord, who could survive? In other words, God, you're, you know, you're good at uh, overlooking things. But forgiveness is with you that you may be feared. I hope in the Lord, my soul hopes, and I long for his word. My soul yearns for the Lord more than, than night watchmen waiting for the morning. Wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is kindness. 
With him there is abounding deliverance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. <clears throat> Let's take a step back here. Out of the depths I call to you. What is this depths referring to? There's, there's a tradition, by the way, an old tradition. We don't do this anymore. And I, I doubt you'll ever see a synagogue like this. You know how in many shuls, the chazan cantors like on an elevated platform? Yeah. So there is a tradition, and this is what it says in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, that the chazan should be actually not on an elevated platform, but on the contrary. There was like this ditch in the ground, and he was actually in a lower space than everybody else. And, and uh, the reason is because this verse, out of the depths I call to you. So that was that that concept of out of the depths I call it to you was actually simulated uh, physically. And I guess there were synagogues that have done that. I don't know. Uh, I've yet to see one in America, but <laughs> I don't know if these tradition yet. But but what do these depths refer to? So in the Zohar, there's actually a debate what it's referring to. There are two Two opinions. The Zohar is one of the earliest works on Kabbalah. And this is a good time to plug in our upcoming JLI course. A, uh, where we're going to be giving a sketch through all the various Jewish books. A lot of people don't know this. The Zohar is essentially a Midrash. It falls under the category of Midrash. It's a more Kabbalistic-oriented Midrash. You have some Midrashim that are more Halachic-oriented. In the Midrash, in this Midrash, the Zohar, you have two opinions as to what the depths refer to. Opinion number one, it's referring to the depths of whoever's calling out to God. Out of the depths, I call to you. So my own depths. I'm calling out to you, God, out of the depths of my heart. Another opinion says that it's actually referring to the depths of God. I'm calling to you, to your depths. I'm trying to dig deep into understanding who you are, God. That's who it's referring to. Which one is correct? The answer is yes. <laughs> They're both correct. Actually, it seems to make more sense that this be the first one. And the way I was interpreting that is depths is being probably from the lowest world. Right, for the you're saying even just on a on a more on a global sense, not only on an individual sense. Right, but I'm thinking more of the spiritual realms. So, so take take a look though. Take a look in the Hebrew for a second. Truth is, you could see it in the English as well. It, it in commentaries wonder why it says depths in the plural. Mima'amakim. The root word of mima'amakim in the Hebrew is emek, which is a valley. But it could have said meomek from the depth, from my depth. Why depths plural? The reason is because there's both of these opinions and they're both correct. And they're both dependent on one another. When we call out of our depths, when we dig deep inside of ourselves and call out to God, we're connecting to his true to his deepest sense of self. They're linked. The ultimate depth. The soul is linked to the depths of God. 
That's why it says depths in the plural. Because they go hand in hand. It says, out of the depths, I call to you. It's kind of a funny thing. I call to you. I'm calling God. Like, hey, you. Hey, buddy. That's how deep the relationship is with God. We're on a hey, buddy um, status. What, what's it called? A hey, buddy. Uh, a hey, man status. You call your friend. And, hey, hey, Mike. Hey, Jim. Right? We have that relationship. We have that rapport. So we have this rapport from the depth's perspective. We have this rapport with God. This is a, a connection with God that is not defined by my understanding of him. It's not even it's not a product of my appreciation of God, my meditation, how I've meditated about him and how I thought about him and how I understand him and how I feel about him. There's five of us in this Zoom call right now, and perhaps more than that, listening to the post-recording. And if I were to ask everybody right now listening to describe how you feel about God, to describe how you conceptualize how you think about God, to describe how you envision God, we're going to get five different answers. We're going to get multiple answers because everybody's an individual. So God's... Uh, God is essentially different to each person. But God is limited to each person. But not when you connect with him out of your depths. When you connect him with the soul, you bypass. It's not about how I think about him or how I perceive him or how I feel about him. It's just about him. I'm calling him. So can you elaborate when you say depths of the soul? Um when you know when when I first read this, you know, as you were reading it, I was thinking, oh, okay, this is specifically between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur uh, for the for this yeah for this paragraph, right? And we've had by the time Rosh Hashanah rolls around, we've had all year long to contemplate our status as uh, a Benini and how we have failed in many cases and and so when i think about the depths of our you know the how, how does this say uh, out of the depths i keep you know it my first inclination was to say okay i'm recognizing my failings at this particular moment of time and i'm and i'm reaching out to hashem right and, and so that's how i initially read read this when you right said, in, in other words depths, like right? i'm in deep trouble and i'm i'm, I'm reaching out to god yeah and i i think that is the most literal interpretation and the and commentaries may take that route that I'm you know I'm I'm in deep trouble, <laughs> I'm in deep anguish, I'm in deep pain, deep trauma, deep 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 um, sin, and I'm out of all those depths. I'm digging in and I'm calling out to God, but they they kind of go hand in hand. The true depths of the soul cannot be won't be faced by anything. Won't be faced by anything. I'll give you an example. The soul has layers. You know what? The, the, the truth is, the word soul is kind of, um, it's not a fair word to use. It's cheap. I'm cheating when I use the word soul. I'm hiding behind words. I use the word soul. 
I don't have to explain what I mean. Everybody nods and everybody's happy. But what are we actually talking about? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's it's I'm I'm kind of cheating. So I'm I'm glad you're challenging me here. That's good. That's good stuff. What is a soul? Your soul has layers. It's hard to define the soul because there's layers to the soul, and the soul may have different meanings depending on the, on the context. In the Tanya, you mentioned the Bainini, in the from, from a Tanya perspective, and when it says soul, it usually means how you think and how you feel, how you process you know, your internal self, not your behavioral self. But within your internal self, there's layers. And I'll give you an example. Can I ask just a quick question? Go for it. Um, you know, as, as Jim was mentioning earlier, like the layers of the world, when, when you're talking about the layers of the soul and how each of us, you know, within the four different realms, right? There's different, le different levels or different layers within each of those, right? Um, is that what you're really kind of referring to when you're saying layers yeah, of the soul? There's, there's layers of the soul and, you know, there's layers of, of, of existence in general. Even without the soul, there's layers of clarity. And they, they kind of go hand in hand. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Imagine I made this beautiful piece of artwork right over there. Hold on. Beautiful. Yeah. I made this beautiful piece of artwork. I worked really hard on it. I've put hours and hours of work. And you say, Josh, it sucks, man. <laughs> Stick to your day job, right? That That's going to uh, – how am I going to feel? It's going to hurt, right? But guess what? You didn't really offend me so much. You kind of offended my, my, my actions. I'll get over it. I will. I'm not going to hold a grudge forever. I'm not going to be deep. To, the trauma is not going to be that deep. Because you didn't hurt me, you hurt what I did. But I could walk away and blame it on someone else. Right? And it could, it's, I'm using the example of, of um, making fun of what I've done, but you could apply the same thing to if you were to appreciate the artwork. Right? You're going to build myself a scene, but at the end of the day, it's something I did. I can walk away, nobody's going to know. What if I told you, though? So that's one layer to solve what I, what I do. That's the most external layer. What if I told you that artwork has embedded within it, invested within it, my passions? I invested my passion into that artwork. It was shaped by my feelings. And if you were examining it closely, you'd see. And then you look at it and you go, eh, Josh, <laughs> stick to your day job. Or conversely, you like it, whatever it is. It's going to hit me a little bit deeper because that's my feelings. It's not just what I did. It's my feelings. And, and even when I walk away from it, the feelings are still there. Okay, that's even deeper layer. What if I told you this piece of artwork that I've worked on is not just my feelings. It, the design has been shaped by my life perspective how I see things, how I understand things, my mind. And that's what in my whole life perspective and how my, I grew up and my journey shaped this painting, 
shaped this piece of artwork. And you say insensitively, Josh, get a job, man. <laughs> that's going to hurt a lot much. That, that's going to hurt even more. The, the trauma is much deeper. That's a deeper cut, right? That's a deeper layer of the soul. My mind, that's a deeper layer of the soul. How I see things. Or, or what if you said, I put a piece of my soul into this artwork. Right. That'd right. be even deeper, right? Right. Exactly. So let's take, right? Let's go even deeper. What if I invested into that artwork? My drive. It's what drives me. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's what motivates me to get up. It's what motivates me to be me. It's what motivates me to exist. My drives, my deepest passion. And you say, eh, Josh, get a day job. That's going to be an even deeper trauma. And I'm, I'm using trauma as a, it, it, it's the same thing conversely. If you were to appreciate the artwork, it's going to boost my confidence even more because you've, you, you've, um, validated. You've validated. There we go. Thank you. You've val I didn't have enough Diet Pepsi here. <laughs> You've validated not only what I've done, not only how I feel, not only how I think, but you're validating my, my life drive, my inner ambition. Right? That's a fourth layer of the soul. What if I were to tell you this artwork that I've been working on, this painting that I've worked on, is me? It's me. It's not just my passion. It's not just something I enjoy. It literally is something I invested a piece of myself in. Me and that painting are inseparable. You kill that painting, I'm done. I am that painting. You look at that painting and you see me written on it. Certain artists know how to do that, right? And you say, Josh, get a job. <laughs> right Th that painting is me we're inseparable okay i'm using this as a as a illustration just to show that there's layers there's layers to the person there's layers to the soul and that out of the depths calling god out of the depths means i'm not just gonna you know i'm gonna go to the ultimate deepest self-connection that i have to god where we're inseparable it's not just that I love God, I'm passionate about God, that I intellectually appreciate God, or that I'm ambitious about what he represents, or that I appreciate his value. It's deeper than that. It's that, God, you and I are inseparable. Nothing can separate us because of that soul. To the point that even if I don't understand you conceptually, and I didn't even put in the time. I'm still going to feel passionate about you because of this soul. By the way, Yom Kippur is when you see this. Why is everybody showing up on the most boring day? <laughs> Why? The soul is drawing people in. You'd think they all, everybody should come on Simchas Torah when there's a lot of alcohol and fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. Come on Purim. Come when there's food. Why is everybody coming on Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is that day where the deepest, where we're calling God out of the depths. The 10 days up until Yom Kippur are, are leading up to that. 
if you look at the second line, my Lord, hearken to my voice, listen to my voice. Okay, tra translations are dangerous. Let's because take a look at the Hebrew. Hebrew doesn't say that. Um, the, the first line in the Hebrew, second sentence. So right after the two dots. Do you see it? Top top line in the gray. Right after the second, uh, right after the two dots. Hashem, God. Shima, listen, like from the word Shema. Hearken, whatever. Bekoli. To my voice. Right. But what is the prefix? So kol means voice. Koli means my voice. The prefix is be or ve. With. Okay, it could mean with. What else can v mean as a prefix? As. Or in. In. Okay. In. We're not saying God listen to my words, to my voice. Listen what's in my voice. Listen to the depths. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the passion, to the to the depths behind it. God, empathize with me. That's what empathy is, by the way. Empathy is deep. Empathy means I'm not going to just judge what you're doing. I'm going to try to accept how you're exper what you're experiencing. About a year and a half ago, when I was working, doing my field work for my MFT, so I was counseling a couple. And I was, essentially, this is what I was, it was this verse that I was trying to coach them in. They were not getting along. They were, they had, a, you know, they had a lot of different challenges. And I said to both of them, you know, he had complaints about how his wife would react and vice versa. I said, to stop for a moment. What is motivating that? What is her experience? Take time to notice each other's experiences. Not just what's you're happening to you, your experience. Try to notice their experience. And that's what we're telling God. God, we're calling you out of the depths. Listen to that experience. Listen what is in my voice. And God could do that because we're unlocking his depths. Our depths and his depths are linked. Are one and the same. That's why we say later, a few lines down, look in the English, four, uh, four lines down, but forgiveness is with you. Take a look at the Hebrew. I like the Hebrew better. In Hebrew, it's the third line, right after the two dots. You see it? Ki, because, imcha, with you, haslicha is forgiveness. God, when I'm with you, when we have that depth that we're talking about, forgiveness is automatic. There's forgiveness. In other words, the, the forgiveness we're talking about here is not, God, I'm sorry for doing this. I'm sorry for doing that. And, you know, reading a laundry list of things, which we do do that, by the way, right? The, the Al-Khait service, doing a laundry list of, of things. We're, we're, it's beyond that. It's, God, I'm with you. We're one, we're, we're, we're one with each other. Now, all of a sudden, nothing else matters. All the sins don't... 
They're, they become irrelevant because we're inseparable. The sins couldn't bother you. The sins couldn't undo anything. They can't undo that relationship. If the relationship is not deep because it's defined by my appreciation or by my passion, it's defined by me falling in love, sin or negative experiences can, can break that. But if my relationship with God is, is deeper than that, it's just a part of who I am. So as long as I'm with you, God, there's forgiveness. The Zohar records this interesting dialogue that God had prior to creating the world. God creates this world, and it's day six of creation. It's now time to create people. And the Zohar says that God consulted with the Torah. Because the Torah pre preceded creation. It says in the Zohar that God looked at the Torah and used that as his blueprint for creation. Which is why creation and world and existence tends to change, where the Torah is pretty much the only stable thing we have. And he says to the Torah, there's this metaphorical dialogue that God is having with the Torah. God, uh, sorry, sorry, Torah, should I create human beings? Torah says, bad idea. Don't do it. <laughs> they are going to mess up catastrophically. They're going to sin. They're going to slip. You're going to be unhappy. They're going to be unhappy. Why get into this mess? Which is, by the way, what happened within the first three hours of creation. Adam and Eve had one job. Don't eat that piece of fruit. And literally within the first three hours of creation, they just it was Friday right before Shabbos. They had to stick it out until Shabbos, right? It's like when you tell your, your kids, I have a Shabbos treat for you, but just don't eat it now. Wait till Shabbos. Wait three hours. They couldn't do it. Right? Yet, what does the Torah say? After, after every single day of creation, the Torah says it was good. God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was good. God creates Adam and Eve, and it was very good. <laughs> the only creation that has the ability to mess up it was very good. Right, so going back to the story in the Zohar, God then consults Teshuvah, has this metaphorical dialogue with Teshuvah. Should I create human beings? Absolutely. Well, what do you mean? What about all the mess-ups? And the they'll do Teshuvah. They could do Teshuvah like that. Everything can be fixed. It's going to be incredible. God says, I like it. Before we're even born. The ability to mess up is right there waiting for us. The ability to do teshuva is right there waiting for us. But the teshuva we're talking about here is not a, I'm sorry for doing this, I'm sorry for doing that, and trying to amend specific. It's a paradigm shift. It's literally a paradigm shift. It's going back to the root of the relationship. When you go back to the root of the relationship, the root of our relationship with God is our inseparableness. Is that a word? Our inseparability. No. Yeah, is that better? Our our um, independent connection, which means I'm not connected because of things, feelings, perspective, behavior. 
I'm just connected. You know, it's like, why are you connected with your parents? Why are you connected with your children? So when they're young, because it's my child, right? Once they're teenagers, we start making up reasons why we're connected with them because we need excuses. <laughs> but, but, but the truth is, and you see it more with babies, the connection's innate. You don't have a choice. Um, it, it, the connection is much deeper than that. This is the paradigm shift of teshuva. That's why, by the way, when somebody does teshuva, the Rambam says that, it, and it, it's brought in, in Jewish law and halacha, you're not allowed to remind somebody who did teshuva, you're not allowed to remind them of their past. Why not? One of the reasons is because they're literally a different person. That's not them. They're not hiding their past. They're not denying or lying. And you're sweeping it under the rug. It's just not relevant anymore. You you see it. I, I know a guy who really went through the ringer and around the block and back many times. And he, he ended up in, in prison for a little while. He had a difficult time in, in, in his spiritual journey. His spiritual journey or his period in time where he was challenged by his animal soul and running from his spiritual journey led him to the darkest of places. But he's now at a point where that past is not something he's denying or didn't happen. You know, just not relevant. He's like a different person. Literally a different person. As if it wasn't him who did it. Okay. Then we move on to the half Kaddish. But before we move on, any questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? Okay. We've now, if it was between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we've officially concluded Pesukei de Zimra, the verses of praise. Otherwise, we would have concluded it with the blessing of Yishtabach, which is on 38, the top of 38. This is a shift in gears. Because we're now going to move on to the blessings that precede the Shema. The meat and potatoes of prayer are the Shema and the Amida. And we have the verses of praise and the blessings of the Shema. And we have all these rungs on the ladder to help us uh, most internalize and appreciate these things. The blessings that precede the Shema, you'll see on page 39, it says there in the title, Blessings of the Shema, you see that? Blessings of the Shema, right? But before reciting the blessings of the Shema, we recite the half Kaddish. Why? What's it doing there? <laughs> How'd that get there? So here's what Maimonides writes. This is interesting. The Sitter the the is an interesting book. It's... It, out of all of Jewish literature, it in some ways is the most mysterious book because it's so diverse. I could tell you when the Zohar was written. I could tell you when the Talmud was written. I could tell you when the Midrash was written, when the Shulchan Aruch was written. When was the Siddur written? <laughs> right? The Siddur is being written. It was written over... You have certain prayers that have been added 
thousands of years ago. You have certain prayers that have been added hundreds of years ago. There was chronological diversity. There's there, there's it's it, there's a weird document there. You have prayers that are authored by prophets of biblical eras. You have prayers authored by Kabbalists closer to the modern era. I'll give you an example. The earliest, the, the latest, or the most recent prayer, one of the most recent prayers we have in the Siddur, this might take you by surprise, is the Moda'ani. The Moda'ani was only authored around the Arizal's time, around 500 years ago. The concept existed. The concept goes way back. But the text itself is not that old. For many years, the Siddur was kind of an open project. And you know what's interesting, by the way? The, the, the concept of prayer from a Siddur, structured prayer, existed pretty much starting from the destruction of the first temple. So 20... Let's say 2,500 years ago. The oldest sitter we have is post-Talmud era, about 1,000 years ago, maybe even less. The oldest sitter document we have is not that old, which means there must have been versions of the sitter during the ages of the Talmud, during the ages of the Mishnah, during the ages of the Second Temple era, which lasted 420 years during the ages of the 70-year Babylonian exile, there must have been uh, versions of the Siddur that we, for whatever reason, didn't make it throughout history up until post-Talmud, which is an interesting thing. Pre-Talmud, in pre-Talmudic, uh, the pre-Talmudic age, prayer started with the blessings that precede the Shema. Prayer was much quicker. Prayer started on page 39. In whatever book they had. Or on page X, X, X. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> whatever. I'm on a stone tablet. <laughs> the beginning of prayer was the blessing that preceded the Shema. The verses of praise was added later. The Talmud says, the, the Talmud accentuates all those who recite the verses of praise because they're actually, the, the, one of the reasons why the Siddur was a little bit of a chronologically open project is because as you progress throughout exile, and as the exile gets darker and darker and darker, you need more and more and more. From a biblical perspective, there's no blessings that precede the Shema. Just say the Shema. That's it. And how long did it take Moses to pray already? <laughs> Just say the Shema. But as we progress throughout exile, you know, you, you're not going to appreciate the Shema properly. You're not going to get the full benefits of it. You need the blessings that precede the Shema. And then exile progresses even more where you're not going to appreciate those blessings that precede the Shema. You got to work into it. You need the Pesuk of the Zimri. You need the verses of praise. And even then, you need the preliminary Korbanot service, right? There, so there's a whole... <laughs> things are were constantly being added because of the need. Now you'll notice there was nothing taken away. <laughs> um, that's parenthetical. I've got so a question, though. Yeah, go for it. 
Um, so you, you started off and you were talking about the significance of the placement of the half Kaddish right before the blessings of the Shema. And I, would, I wouldn't mind if you could elaborate a little bit more on the significance. Okay, yeah. Perfect. So, so, so the, the, the prayers, the davening officially at, back in the day would start from the blessings of the Shema. So Maimonides says, well, before we start praying, we're going to start praying. We're going to start the official prayers with a Kaddish. Kaddish, all the prayers start with Kaddish. We start Mincha with a Kaddish, a half Kaddish. We start the Mariv service with a half Kaddish. We start the Musaf service with a half Kaddish. Anytime we have, we start Neila once a year on Yom Kippur, the last closing prayer of Yom Kippur with a half Kaddish. Anytime we start a prayer, we do a half Kaddish. So this was the official starting point for many, many years up until the Talmudic age and maybe even the Mishnaic age. So because that was the beginning of prayer, the half Kaddish was instituted there. One of the reasons, and there's two reasons. There's the simple reason. You need a minion to say Kaddish. So it kind of makes sure that, that everybody's there. <laughs> because the Kaddish is going to start. You can't start without the minion. It kind of forces everybody to show up. That's kind of logistical. But there's a deeper reason. Why are we starting prayers with Kaddish? And by the way, we end prayers with Kaddish too. Prayer is sandwiched between Kaddish. What is the significance of Kaddish? Anybody know who authored the Kaddish? And when it was authored? I'm going to guess and say Ezra. Yep, you got it. It was authored by Ezra. Ezra was the leader at the time of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, as well as the 70 years of exile in Babylon. And he's... And he brought everybody back from Babylon after that Babylonian exile and built the second Beit HaMikdash. Sorry, he was toward the end of the first Beit HaMikdash, brought everybody up 70 years later to build the second Beit HaMikdash. Ezra established most of the, or many, Ezra and his Beit Din, his court, established most of the prayers. The Amida. He also established the Kaddish. Why? Now, by the way, it's interesting to note that the Kaddish is in Aramaic, which means Aramaic was a Jewish language not only in Talmudic times, but even back then. He established the Kaddish. The Kaddish extols the greatness of God. It's Gadal of Yit Kaddash. Let it be great. Let it be sacred. Shmei Rabbah, his holy name. What Ezra was trying to communicate or wanted us to kind of internalize by saying the Kaddish is that the Beit HaMikdash has been destroyed. Beis was God's house. It's where you can palpably experience God. You show up and you feel God. You prostrate, you prostrate because he's there. But no longer because of its destruction. And what we're saying is, God, we may not palpably feel your presence. We're still going to exalt your name. We still believe. And we still believe that we're going to experience this one day. The Messianic era. When Mashiach comes. The Talmud says. That whenever somebody says. Top of uh, 39. You're supposed to say that out loud. You're supposed to say that with all of your passion. May his great name be blessed forever and ever and for all eternity. 
The Talmud says anytime we say that, God says, why did I do this exile thing? Why did I do it? He regrets it. Literally regrets it. We kind of awaken, going back to the depths. We awaken something within God. We awaken this desire uh, uh, for redemption within God. So we start off prayer. By the way, the informal part of prayer, the Pesukah de Zimur, we also started with a Kaddish, a Kaddish Durabanan. But we're starting the formal part of prayer also with a Kaddish to remind us what prayer is all about. Prayer is ultimately about the Kaddish. That although we're in exile, we still believe. We're still going to bring God's presence here. We're going to experience bring God's presence to the world and on a more personal level we're going to climb that ladder and experience God individually the the Hebrew word for redemption which the Kaddish refers is Geula the Hebrew word for exile is Gole similar spellings but the word redemption has an aleph. The word exile, goled, does not have an aleph. That's the only difference. Otherwise, the, the letters are the same. So the difference between redemption and exile is an aleph. What is aleph? One. Aleph is the numerical value of one God. The difference between exile and redemption is just do we experience God or not? Reciting the Kaddish while in exile, which is why it was invented, is our way of saying that we are ready for redemption. We're ready to experience God. We're ready for the Beit HaMikdash. And this is what the trajectory of prayer is all about. As we get, and you'll soon see this, as we get into the blessings that precede the Shema, where we more internalize our relationship with God, as we'll experience the angel's perspective of God, then Shema, our perception of God, and ultimately the Amida, our submission to God, we're deeper, we're, we're uh, further integrating our connection with God consciously, bringing the Aleph into the Goleh, making it Gula, making it redemption. Kaddish is the mission statement, essentially, of prayer. What? Why do you need a minion for it? For Kaddish? That's a good question. That's a good question. So some say that you need the minion is a was a logistical institution. Make sure that you have a minion for davening. So if we make sure that the but in general, sacred things, um, anything that is Kedusha oriented, like the Kedusha during the Amida, anything that is Kedusha oriented. That level of sacredness requires a minion. And by the way, it's a, it, the, the, the history behind the minion, this is related. You'll soon see it's not too off topic. The history behind the minion. How do we know about the concept of a minion in the Torah? The source of minion. You know where it's from? The, uh, the spies. From the spies, right? Moses sends 12 spies to the land of Israel. 10 of them come back with an ill report. Two of them remain righteous. 10 of them came and, and um, with, a, with a negative, not only a negative report, but a, a false report. 
And they tried basically undermining God, undermining the trajectory of the Jewish people, which was going to the land of Israel and experiencing redemption. And God refers to those 10 people as an evil congregation. Rashi says we learn from there that that's what a congregation is, 10 people. The concept of a congregation, they tried undermining the trajectory of Judaism, redemption, going to Israel. The way we bring back <laughs> the ultimate trajectory of the Jewish people of going to Israel and having that redemption, it's with 10 people. That's why Minyan is with men, because it's the men who messed up. The women didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's a good thing that there weren't 100 spies. Yeah, exactly. That would be that would make it difficult. <laughs> Moses, couldn't you have chosen like five? <laughs> okay, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 